Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. George Norrie with you. Mark Gober with us. And we are talking about his latest work in End to Upside Down Living. Mark, tell us about that book. So the book is centered around a single question. My first book, End to Upside Down Thinking, was centered around the question, does the brain create consciousness? And I argue, no, it doesn't. Second book is, well, if we assume that uh, the brain does not create consciousness, how would we live? And the way I phrase it in the book is, what is the overall intention of your life? And how can we create an intention for our lives that actually aligns with what science is telling us about the nature of reality? You talk about awakening and enlightenment. Explain that. These are terms that have been used for a very long time in many traditions. And the way I think about these ideas is that we in these human bodies effectively have a filter to this broader reality. We're whirlpools in the stream and we're sort of blocked off from the rest of the stream, the rest of our true nature, by being in a body. And the awakening or enlightenment process is basically undoing whatever filters are blocking us from our true nature. Is it easy to get into that mode, or is it difficult? Well, it seems as a human being it can be difficult for some people because there's so much conditioning in this world. We are not taught about many of the ideas that we're discussing today um, in the education system. So I think right now in human society it can be difficult, but I think there are more and more cases of people that are sort of waking up to their true nature, whether it's through a meditation experience, for some people it's a psychedelic experience, a near-death experience seems to do it overnight for people because they viscerally experience this broader reality. And when people have these more uh, personal accounts where they, where they feel it themselves, they tend to wake up quickly. Whereas in my case, it was really an intellectual exploration that over time has become more experiential as I've meditated more. But I didn't have like a near-death experience where overnight there was an awakening. For me, it's been much more gradual. Mark, tell me about the power of consciousness. Exactly what is it used for? How can it enhance our life? Well, since consciousness is the basis of all reality under this idea that we've been discussing, then consciousness is incredibly powerful, and it can be used for really good things or for really detrimental things. And one of the things that I talk about in my new book is is the ways in which we can use our consciousness to help shift reality in a positive way for everyone, which I think is really critical right now, especially given all that's happening in the world. And I think one of the key ideas there is the notion of unity, the idea that we are individual whirlpools at some level, but at another level, we are interconnected in the same stream of consciousness. So I I like to point back to the life review phenomenon in the near-death experience. It's one of the most impactful things I've learned about where a person relives his or her whole life in a flash at a time when their brain is barely functional or completely off, and they experience how they treated people through the eyes of the people they impacted. And for my podcast, Where Is My Mind?, I interviewed Daniel Brinkley, who has had four near-death experiences, yeah, great guy. each time having a life review. So he relived many of the things he did, which in his case, some of them were not very pleasant because he fought in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was a tough he guy. Felt, he, he told me that he was vicious in combat, and he felt the deaths of the people that he killed in combat through their eyes. And not only that, he sometimes felt the pain of the child that would no longer have a father because he had killed the father in combat, and this yes. is all in the near-death experience state. The power of consciousness is if, if you do not use it, 
what becomes of you as a human being? I mean, do you lose out? What happens? Well, I think this idea of consciousness, that, that we are consciousness and we have an ability to, to control it or mold it to our, to our benefit, is one that's incredibly empowering for the individual once one is awoken to this idea. And we, we mentioned psychokinesis earlier, which is the ability for the mind to effectively mold or impact reality. That is completely in alignment with this idea that all reality is consciousness. So this apparently physical world is really a product of our collective consciousness. So when we shift our consciousness in a certain direction with intentions, it would seem to reason that the physical reality around us would shift in some way. And when that kind of a shift happens, not just for the individual, but when many individuals do it, I think that's when we get a global shift. And I think it's what we need right now. You've warned us about the seduction of power in the book. Explain that. Well, this gets to your point, George, about how, how can we use consciousness? Mm -hmm. I think we can use our consciousness to set an intention that is for our own individual power, for very selfish reasons. And when we look at some very elevated people who would who reach states that are sort of like in alignment with the full stream of consciousness, what some would call enlightenment, like the Buddha, Jesus Christ, um, they were faced with temptation. Jesus was faced with temptation from the devil, as the story goes. Buddha was faced with temptation uh, from a demon named Mara. In the Yoga Sutras, they warn of celestial beings. And one of my favorite stories is from Dr. David Hawkins, who's famous for writing the book Power Versus Force, but he was also a very, I think, enlightened person. He said when he reached higher and higher levels of consciousness, where he was sort of uniting with this broader stream and feeling the oneness, he was faced with a temptation where this knowingness, apparently from an external source, came to him and said, you've transcended your personal karma. All power is yours. You can take it. And he declined it because he reasoned, wait, I am everything, so why would I need power over others? But interestingly, what he claims in the story, which of course I can't validate, but it's an interesting story, he says that when he kind of passed that test, he was shown the other beings throughout history who had passed it, like Jesus and the Buddha, but he said he was also shown the people that got to that level and took the temptation. And he said it was a terrible karmic fall for those people, which is just fascinating to me. Is there evil on that side, too? Well, it seems like we live in this, there is this one universal consciousness that has an infinite amount of diversity. That's kind of the duality that we live in, where it's, there is at one level unity, but at another level there isn't unity, and there's separation. And within that separation, there's a variety of, of benevolence, and I think there is some, what we would call darkness, which to me is a veiling of the pure state of consciousness. So to use an analogy, if consciousness is like the sun, it's always shining rays. But when we have lots of clouds blocking the sun, then we don't experience that, that consciousness. And that's where maybe the darkness comes from. It's a lack of tapping in. And that's where maybe we have malevolent or what we would call bad behavior. Mark Gober with us. We'll take calls next hour with Mark. What about karma? Where does, where does that fit in? You know, the old saying, what goes around comes around. But how does karma fit into this? Well, it's, it's just fascinating to me that we're even talking about this, because if you had asked me a few years ago before my research into the science, I would have said karma is just wishful thinking. It's <laughs> not, not part of the universe. And now when I look at things like the Life Review, where people relive their lives and experience how they impacted people, they feel the negatives that they inflicted on people, and they feel the joy. And the fact that we see a lot of evidence for reincarnation, like children who have past life memories and other, other areas as well, 
it suggests that karma really could be part of this whole system where the life review might be basically our way to see how we how we performed in this physical realm and we get to see in the the ways in which we evolved so david hawkins to go back to him i mentioned him a lot in my second book yeah. he says that we are all karmic wind-up toys let loose and that's what many of the spiritual traditions say is basically we're the product of many many lives that impacts the reality that we experience so that we can have new learning experiences to evolve at the level of our consciousness how can we use consciousness in a positive way to enhance our life, especially now when everything seems to be so f screwed up? It's a great question. I, I think first and foremost is to understand the nature of reality, to understand that science is suggesting and many direct experiences people have. This is all pointing to the idea that we are, our existence is beyond this physical body and that we are interconnected. So to start there and say, wait a second, whatever we're taught in the mainstream education system, the mainstream media, it's not the full picture. It's not the updated picture based on what science is showing us. So I think when we tap into understanding that this physical reality is not all there is, number one, it takes some of the pressure off. And number two, I think it, it impels us to, to want to help others because at some level, another person is a version of us. Because if we're all connected as part of this individual, this one mind consciousness, then helping others becomes an imperative. Actually being altruistic towards others is a form of selfishness at the level of the one mind. The last few words in the book in End to Upside Down Living's title says, Save the Human Species. Tell me about that. Well, when we look at the problems in the world today, whether they're geopolitical, violence, there's a lot of social unrest at the moment, to me, when I look at those problems, they almost, if not always, stem from a misunderstanding of reality. People are typically acting from this assumption that we are separate from each other and that we're finite beings. When you die, it's over. There's nothing beyond this body. So if we fix um, any of the individual, quote-unquote, problems we see in the world today, I think it's sort of like a Band-Aid. It's fixing the symptom without curing the disease. And the disease to me is the misunderstanding of reality. And by understanding what reality is, we can therefore then align our compass for our life, set an orientation for how we want to live. And to me, when enough people do this potentially, that would be enough to shift the reality that we're in such that we live in a much, I think, better society. Has this belief system now that you've developed over the last few years changed you, made you a better person? It's changed me dramatically. So I, I did think of myself as a good person before I got into all this stuff. I just thought life was meaningless. Because if you think consciousness comes from the brain, then what happens when the brain shuts off? When you die, there's no consciousness. There's no memories. There's no feelings, no thoughts. And therefore, I reasoned life did not have any meaning. We live in a random universe. We could tr create meaning while we're living. But when you die, it's over and that's it. And I know a lot of really smart people who are friends of mine and lots of smart academics who subscribe to that belief system because it logically follows, I think, that it's hard to find meaning if it's not impossible to find meaning if you think consciousness comes from the brain. So to me, when I was going about my life, you know, working in finance and working very hard academically before that, in the back of my mind, I always thought, wait a second, Mark, none of it actually matters, even though you're, you care so much. Why do you care? None of it matters in the end. So I kind of had this internal struggle. And now that I've stumbled across the science and have developed 
hypothesis for how life seems to work, it's, I think, liberated me in many ways, and I'm much more cognizant of the whole planet and other people because I now view all of us as being interconnected. So my priorities have shifted completely. That's why I wrote these two books and created my podcast, Where Is My Mind? It's because this information is not only life-changing for the individual, but I think it, it has the potential, the concepts, to shift society in a positive direction. Is it consciousness that determines uh, the difference that we make between right and wrong, good and bad, and things like that? Yes, but I think ultimately the decisions we make are clouded sometimes by, you know, if we, if we go back to the analogy of the sun being pure consciousness and the rays coming in, sometimes we have clouds blocking us from that pure instinct. And I think that's, that's part of the awakening process is for us to shed whatever clouds we have so that we can bring in pure consciousness and make decisions that are much more in alignment with probably the overall uh, nature of reality. Does consciousness determine who we are? Does it make us who we are? Well, if consciousness is the basis of everything, then by definition, who we are is a product of this broader consciousness. But then there are, are sub-questions to that. You know, at the relative level, we aren't one consciousness. We have this appearance of being separate. And one of the topics I, I discussed in An End to Upside-Down Living is the notion of pre-birth planning, which this is another one where I would have, I never would have even considered this years ago. But the University of Virginia, as I mentioned, they've studied over 2,500 cases of children with past life memories. What they find in a subset of those cases is that the children have intermission memories, memories between lives, which sometimes includes encountering intelligent beings, just like what's mm -hmm. reported in near-death experience, but also choosing their parents. And this gets into another topic, which is seen much more in under, uh, hypnosis, when people kind of quiet their minds. Sometimes they claim to have memories of this same intermission period, where there seems to be a, a planning phase, where the life that we end up embodying for this lifetime had some degree of planning before the life, which is, to me, still mind-blowing. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.